everybody this is lisa fields the founder of the jude 3 project and as you know we've been continuing um posting last year's courageous conversations to get you guys excited about this year's courageous conversation that's coming up on august 1st and 2nd if you haven't registered please go ahead and register don't wait till the last minute Rates will go up at the door. So if you're anticipating I'm going to come to the door and register, you're definitely going to pay more than when you would register before. So their tickets will be $100 at the door. Um, and you could just pay $75 now uh, for general admission. And we still have a few VIP tickets left. VIP tickets uh, are $100. That comes with lunch both days and preferred seating. Um, so we still have a few of those left. Make sure you jump on those uh, before they're gone. Um, do have a group rate available for groups 10 or more. Um, it's only $60 to register. Yes, you heard that right. For groups 10 or more, it's only $10 per person to register. So Definitely take advantage of the group rate if you're coming as a group. Without further ado, let's get into today's uh, episode. We're going to be uh, looking at or listening to last year's conversation, exclusivity versus inclusivity is Jesus the only way. I hope you enjoyed this episode and remember to register for Courageous Conversations 2019 at Jude3project.com or CourageousCombos.org. And also, if you have been paying attention to our socials, you know that we have a new curriculum coming out that I'm so excited about. More details will be forthcoming. You can check out more info about that on our website. So um, let's get into today's episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Today's Courageous Conversation is exclusivity versus inclusivity. Is Jesus the only way? Now we have four uh, pastors and leaders to help us sort through this important topic. The first being Dr. Howard John Wesley, who is the senior pastor of Alpha Street Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. The second is Dr. Brianna Parker, who is the founding curator of the Black Millennial Cafe. The third is Jonathan Bennett, who is a pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia. And the fourth is Dr. Vince Bantu, who is a professor of missiology at the Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Let's, let's jump into it. First question is, how would you define exclusivity and inclusivity? Anybody can jump in, but everybody got to an answer. <laughs> so for me personally, um, I'm informed by the spectrum that is laid out by John Knox and God mm. has many names mm -hmm. on the real one extreme. Now we use the word extreme, but on the one hand, you have the exclusive position that yeah. uh, only in Jesus Christ salvation exists. Now, I think we're going to have to define what we mean by salvation yeah. at some point in yeah. this conversation. But that it's go only ahead and in do Christ. That. Go ahead and do that right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I, you know, oh, you don't? Okay. Well, okay. We wanna, okay. Not that I don't know. You know, I'm Baptist. I know what it means. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm blood washed and, you know, Holy Ghost filled and on my way to heaven. <laughs> but, but I do have concern about what we mean by salvation okay. um, as a way of determining where someone stands. Mm -hmm. On the other extreme, of course, you'll find that universal position that the death of Christ was so efficacious right. that all are saved even without confession. Mm -hmm. Um, coming a little bit back from the universal stance, that pluralist, that there is clearly salvation in other faith traditions. Um, and I would identify myself more in the inclusivist, which would say for me, I believe in the possibility of salvation, how we're going to find that mm -hmm. outside of Christ. But Christ is my only experience. So I can only advocate for what I've experienced, mm -hmm. but I do not deny the possibility of other avenues outside of my own walk. Mm -hmm. So I'm an inclusivist where I stand theologically. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Else? How do you define exclusivity and inclusivity? Um, instead of define, defining it, I would like to say it feels like, mm -hmm. okay, um, when I look at the two, it feels like one keeps, um, one is sending out invitations and the other is keeping tabs on a VIP list. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's Which what one? it Which feels one? like. Mm-hmm. Uh, ex- exclusivity mm-hmm. seems it's more like a VIP list. Um, and inclusivity mm-hmm. seems like you're sending out invitations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm much more inclusive than anything. And I think it's difficult defi- to define because everyone has a different requirement that they're using to say whether you receive salvation or get into heaven or mm-hmm. allowed, are allowed into their church or whatever they sure. want to use. Um, and so I think it's something that Dr. Coates talked about, this fetishizing. Um, and I think the issue with it is this is the only place we do it because we're not doing it in our daily lives. Mm. So we only do it in conversation. We only do it on panels, maybe even, you know, at the bar. But I don't know that we're really looking at um, these requirements and rules and, you know, this exclusive understanding when we're living out our daily lives is mm. only for entrance into something that we don't hold the you know key to anyway. Well, mm-hmm. All right. Dr. Bantu. Yeah, um, I, I think I think there's a lot of ways you could define the terms um, in different contexts. Um, so, I mean, I think that I mean, I was kind of joking last night a little bit about even the title of this uh, this panel, which is kind of funny. It's exclusivism versus inclusivism. Like, I wonder if an inclusivist would want to think of themselves as being versus anything. Uh, it kind of goes against the fundamental nature of being inclusivist. Um, but I think that I think that even that. But I mean, I think it's real that that. You know, and and for me, as as an exclusivist who would say that Jesus is the only way that salvation is found under no other name, um, that I think that exclusivity is is uh, an inevitability. That even when you make relativistic or inclusive claims, you're making an exclusive claim for somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, uh, so, but I think that I think that going back to the the pairing of the words, I think that the elements maybe maybe a sense in which there isn't a verses is the sense in which I think that even as I hold the gospel and the scriptures and the, and Christian orthodoxy to be absolute or uh, exclusive or supreme truth, um, I also hold that truth to uh, in different contexts, whether you're talking about theologically or missiologically, especially as a missiologist, I think that there's elements of inclusive, inclusivity and exclusivity when we talk about contextualization and how the message is is brought or how, how uh, it's contextualized into various situations, uh, adopting and appropriate local context. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's elements of both. Okay. Right. Brother Bennett? And I would agree almost with what was said across the board. I think um, inclusivity would then just be this uh, kind of, we, we all believe, I believe on the panel, that uh, salvation was won by Jesus Christ. Um, and this, what is the effect of that, the impact of that? It's like, do we have to believe on that name of Jesus or have heard of that mm-hmm. name of Jesus to be brought to that salvation? Or because of the work of Jesus Christ, will is is everybody brought in? Or as Dr. Wesley was saying, the possibility for others to be brought in. Mm-hmm. Um, I am with uh, Dr. Batum, who would say uh, that only by the name of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. John 14 and Acts 4, uh, can salvation be sought or given. Okay. okay. Can I ask then, because it's yeah, important, I, yes. what is salvation? That's, what I, right? that's so actually what I was going to ask. So, what do you mean yes. by salvation? Because mm-hmm. our definitions may determine the role we're on yes. and why I would stand on a different side of the question based on your definition. Yes. Yeah, because you all have already declared yourself as, you know, inclusive. Based inclusive. on how I understand yes, salvation. how you understand right. that, exclusive, exclusive. So what is salvation? How do you all understand salvation? How do you define that? That's important. Why this conversation is so critical, I believe. I mean, everything has led up to this in such a tremendous way, but why this conversation is so critical is because this is the one that has such a major implication on our lives that we can maybe disagree on how we implicate or, or uh, translate scripture or apply scriptures to our life. But with this, there's such a weight that's put on this because this, to some extent, carries with it where we believe we end up for an eternity. Yes. So for the sake of the conversation, I would like to, if it's okay with the panel, say with how this, let's term salvation, how it relates to eternal life in heaven with Christ. Mm-hmm. And see, I can't. I can't limit it that because that's docetic to me. It becomes as spiritualized that salvation is only eschatological. There has to be a human component of relationship and work in the world mm-hmm. that forms that, mm-hmm. you know, so that let me say, Jonathan, what, yeah, sure. put, what put me on that was a question asked by my systematic theologian in seminary. Are you comfortable putting Gandhi in hell and Hitler in heaven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And that, that thought mm-hmm. about extracting human relationship and respect of life and love on earth 
in view of only this heavenly realm of salvation was what kind of pushed me to say, is that all there is? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And do I limit it simply to heavenly realm or is part of salvation have to be definitive of my ethical behavior in life and respect of life on earth? And that's where the, mm -hmm. the door opened for me for more than simply believing in Christ. Because like all of us in this room, we've all encountered non-Christians who lived at a higher ethical calling than some, I pastor, I'm gonna tell you church folk. <laughs> can be some of the most unchrist-like folk I've ever met. And I've met some Muslims who I'd rather worship with any day of the week mm. than some of the folk that sit in our sanctuary. So not to say that you were no, limiting no. to that, but I had to broaden it, which is what caused me to begin to wonder about my inclusive, my exclusive position that I was raised in. I like it because I wanted to keep the, I don't say that I term salvation as just entry into heaven, but I was thinking for the conversation, if we're going to talk about it, is are we inclusive, not just with who we can call brothers and sisters, but are we inclusive with who we allow into heaven? I think that has a greater impact for our, the panel to know who, so, who makes it in. So I love this because I'm not allowing people in heaven. Yes. Right. right? Yes, so yes. Who that, that, that's would, not my, who God that's not my call at all. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That's good. Dr. Parker, would you like to jump in, just interact with? Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Dr. Parker, can you, you know, jump in and just, you know, give your own thoughts on, especially what Dr. Wesley said? Yeah, so here, there's something about being able to live a life that practices uh Christian Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. The work of Christ that looks like the work of Christ that loves like the work of Christ that uh, thinks more like uh, Christ. And I think sometimes we are so into, you know, the scriptures that we repeat, right? The plan of salvation and, you know, what we say at church that we forget that there's something that's supposed to be happening here um, right. that should matter to mm -hmm. us before we get to heaven. And so I have a difficult time only relegating it to what happens when we get to heaven because that takes responsibility of how we live today mm -hmm. away from each person. Sure. And there are just some people who may never say say the name of Christ or may not know it as uh, being Christ-like, right? But their actions and um, the way they love people, the way they relate to people, their inclusive behavior, the way they give, the way they uh, show compassion mm -hmm. is much better than what I've seen in church on most days. Mm -hmm. And so I can't believe, it is difficult for me to believe that there is nothing for them here mm -hmm. on earth or mm -hmm. after this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, think, I wonder if... Um, the question that we should grapple with on the panel is, is there a hell and who goes there? Mm -hmm. According to what God says, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, and, and uh, because I, I don't, I have a suspicion that I don't think anybody on this panel, maybe even in this church would be in disagreement about, um, obviously none of us can like pin down salvation. And I'm, I'm a patristic scholar slash missiologist, so I'm not a systematic theologian either, but I think all of us would agree that the biblical vision of salvation is holistic. That shalom, yeah. uh, and even in the Greek, sozo means to save and also means to heal. So we can't separate uh, the the salvific effect of you know that has to do with the spiritual and the social and the physical, like all of these things. I think all of us would agree with that, um, and I would argue that actually uh, the kind of binary or kind of compartmentalization of the gospel that has kind of in many ways defined so much of theological academia. Uh, has been one that has been introduced by the dominant white culture in relatively recent times. Like we've been talking a lot about German scholarship, right? And yeah. I would say it begins there in the 1800s, and then it comes over into the U.S. with like fundamentalist modernists and kind of liberation theologies and evangelicalism going in opposite directions, one emphasizing the social, the right here, the physical, other emphasizing the spiritual. And I would argue that both of these incomplete gospels uh, don't catch the biblical picture. And I think yeah. our ancestors uh, in African-American spirituality, if you read the writings of Phyllis Wheatley or Jupiter Hammond or Frederick Douglass, they understood that the gospel had to do with spiritual orthodoxy yes. and physical salvation from, from yeah. liberation. Yeah. And they understood that what was being practiced wrongly by those who uh, would treat them like animals and property was, as Harriet Jacobs called it, uh, he uh, Satan's church here on earth. But she 
understood that to be in contradistinction to Christ's church of heavenly Jerusalem. So they, and when Frank Dulles talked about the 4th of July meaning for the, the Negro, he understood the, that what was being practiced is not actually the gospel. Right. Um, so I think all of us agree with that. Uh, I, would, I think all of us probably would agree that salvation is holistic. Um, I think the, the sticking point that, that we have to come to, though, is, um, you know, again, uh, is there a hell and who goes there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So, uh, like yeah. many, mm-hmm. um, and I know I, I was afraid of the courageous conversation because I know how you can very quickly be mislabeled. Mm-hmm. I wrestle with Christian concept of hell mm-hmm. um, and this place of eternal damnation and the portrait of God that's painted. And again, this kind of pulls back on that first panel, yeah. you know, because I was going to ask you if your concept of salvation and hell is purely rooted in scripture. Mm-hmm. Because for me, limiting God to text that sometimes accurately and inaccurately and inadequately portray God run against my core convictions, mm-hmm. my deepest convictions about God. And this concept of hell is something I wrestle with. Um, and is the aversion of hell only through my saying, I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, and of course the implications of which I love, cause I know you've had to wrestle with this, the implications of the billions of souls that rest in eternal damnation for lack of either exposure to gospel or making that confession. And that, that to me runs so mm-hmm. counter mm-hmm. to a God of love that, that I embrace mm-hmm. that is hard for me. And I'm not saying I've landed in a mm-hmm. real understanding, mm-hmm. but that's where the rub comes for me. Yes. Yeah. You know, Dr. Wesley, you brought up um, the fact that, uh, you know, is our understanding of either salvation and hell, is it rooted, you know, in scripture or is it, are we also being informed by other sources, right? Um, and so, and we've talked about German scholars and all of that. And so I want to see if we can kind of take the enlightenment out of the picture, right? And let's go, let's go to the text, okay? Um, let's go to the text because, Lord, it done done so much damage to us. So let's let's try to go to the text here. So in light of your position, you all have already declared, you know, where, where you are. And I know we, we have some questions about salvation and hell. and um, But I'm wanting to know what your view is uh, of these particular passages. And I'm going to read about three of them. Um, and I'd just like for you to interact and, and tell us, you know, um, uh, what your, your what your thoughts are about this in light of your own position on exclusivity and inclusivity. So let me go ahead and read it. Um, so in light of that position, how do you view passages like John 14, 6, which says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12, which reads, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven um, given among men by which we must be saved. And lastly, Romans 5, 18, which says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So in light of your position, how do you all um, approach those passages? Because I, I can imagine that that's what my, my grandma would be like, but what about that? You know, and she would, want, she would want some answers about that. So It definitely seemed to be exclusive texts, but where did they come from? And mm-hmm. what, why, do you accept, why did Peter, when we're looking at it, accept this teaching mm-hmm. um, as true to share them with us? And then when we say things like, you know, um, no one comes, uh, well, the text says, mm-hmm. no one comes to the Father except yeah. by me. Well, what does it mean to come uh, to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do you get to Jesus? And can a person not come to Jesus through what they've experienced with me? Because I know Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, can they not come to Jesus based on um, something outside of reading one scripture or repeating the plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. And so my question would be, how do you encounter Jesus? Because, mm-hmm. okay, fine. It's, it seems to be exclusive. It's, but what does the encounter with Jesus look like mm-hmm. that then allows us entrance mm-hmm. or access? Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's as narrow as we see it. Mm-hmm. But you would still uh, you would still concur that it is a Jesus encounter that would get you there. Do I, do I understand you correctly? This on that? text says, you know, no one comes to the Father except. Right. But okay, that's one way. Okay. Two something because I don't know if we completely defined it, but that is one way, and I can accept that as a way. But what does the encounter look like? I I'm not going to pretend at this courageous conversation that I believe that is the only way. Um, now. 
that is my way. That is the way that I, okay. But it's just difficult for me to believe that there are people who may not ever um, give the sinner's prayer, may not ever uh, become a Jesus freak, and then they're not going to have access to yeah. something beyond what we have today. Yeah. And then we have to look at it and say, well, and we talked about salvation. I don't want to completely go there, but is it uh, preservation or is it deliverance? And so that also makes a difference when we talk about what salvation is and if someone wants it and what it does for them and if it's going to benefit us here on earth or uh, once we're gone. So I I just think these texts are definitely, these texts are exclusive. Mm -hmm. They do seem to be exclusive. Mm -hmm. But I do have to question where Peter would get such teaching and believe so wholeheartedly in it to share it with us in this way. So for me, and I I know this is where, you know, the rub is because I I was born and raised Baptist. John 14, (laughs) six was after John 3, 16, you know, uh, you learned them in that order. That's true. Uh, (laughs) That's the way it went. And, you know, scholarship and learning challenges traditional understanding. Mm. You know, so I, what I accepted as a young child, I then began to question when this is exclusive to Johannine literature, mm-hmm. the John fourteen six. not to say that if it was replete in all four Gospels, it holds more weight, because I understand authorial intent. I also understand that a lot of the speeches in Acts are, if we want to attribute it to Luke, it's this prosopoeia. It's Luke putting speech in the mouth mm-hmm. of someone else to justify his thoughts. So this... I'm not saying that Peter doesn't say this, but this is Luke saying this is what Peter said. Um, and Dr. Judy's helped me tremendously understand that you can really make the Bible say what you want the Bible to say. Mm-hmm. And when I incorporate passages like this with Abram arguing with God over the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18, Abram lands where I do, which I think is an exclusive position. He says, surely the God of the universe will do what is right. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. it's not, I don't make that decision Mm -hmm. and I don't have to, I don't. So to answer your question, I don't have to preach about who's going to hell because that's what I stand against. I'm about how to be in right relationship with God. So I'm not going to play judge of the universe. I'm not going to deal with who's going to hell. I'm advocating for the way that I know to be in right relationship with God and therefore in relationship with humanity which to me is through Jesus Christ, but also understanding that you can possibly be in right relationship with God and definitely be in right relationship with humanity in other forms and ways that call you to an ethical living um, that that I have to embrace. Mm -hmm. So for me, one of the passages that's critical for me is in Acts 15, when the church is arguing over Gentile circumcision, right? Peter and Paul going at it. And they did not have the debate simply saying, what did Moses say? They didn't just rely on scripture. Mm. They brought in personal experience. Paul argued for the validity of the Gentile experience, obviously through Jesus, but simply because of his exposure to them. Right. So he argues with Peter, not based on scripture, but what he's experienced. And it's difficult for me when my experience of others outside of Christ validates a relationship with God and with humanity that may stand contradictory to certain passages. I have to put more on the table than simply this verse, this verse, and this verse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's all. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. I mean, and there are limited, I mean, we are Jones picking out three passages, you know, I prefer biblical theology, but this is just a conversation. So, um, <laughs> and I do want to also, I don't want to, to lose that Romans 5, 18 is in here, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that talks about condemnation for all people. So they'll be justified by. But, but then, but what do you do with the Jews then? What do you do with right. the first covenant people, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. How do we wrestle with that? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I love, I mean, not to debate, but I love to hear perspective on the Jewish relationship with the Lord outside of Christ. Is that a salvific mm-hmm. relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody like to? It's a fair question. Mm-hmm. I was going to tell you. <laughs> we both look at it. We both look at it. I come from a strict, like a strict, like you said, you, I, you grew up Baptist and I... <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so I, I believe uh, strictly that um, John 14, that whosoever shall call upon the, I'm sorry, the John 14, 6, that uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that not just it's a way, but it's the way, and that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so I believe that, that that's not just 
I agree. Uh, going back, I know we have to touch on the first panel because I think you're right, Dr. Wesley, that a lot of what we say here goes back to where you believe on the authority of Scripture. Yes. I have a high of, yes. a view of Scripture in my mind, and because I like land on that high view of Scripture, it pushes me to say um, to to believe firmly in these things. I would say that I love that. I love that your heart pushes you there, though. So it's like you have such a heart for people that you don't want to, like, imagine somebody who's such a good person in hell. And I'll tell you that that's something that I've wrestled with. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like, what do you do with somebody who's lived uh, morally their entire life and then somebody who professes Christ and then they have these issues and wrestles throughout? It's like, how do we put them in Mm -hmm. heaven and another in hell? And that's something, and I misspoke earlier. I don't want to say that I put them there, but I think that there's a path that Christ has put, uh, that Christ has given to heaven, and that He is the one who knows. I believe it's important that we understand the words of Paul in Ephesians, where it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, or that no, um, that uh, but we're saved according to the grace of God, and so that we remove necessarily the how good is a person to earn heaven and we say that this is strictly by the grace of God that anybody's right. allowed it. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But can I say this? There, I don't want to be lumped in with someone who just loves people so much that I just can't believe anything bad will ever happen to you. I can't believe that. I can look at history and know well, bad things happen well. to good people. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so that's not my thing. I love my niece. When my niece decided she didn't want to listen to my rules, she had to leave my house. And so love doesn't change, you know, um, how I feel and certain access. That's not what I'm saying. So it's not about how much I love people. And I do love people. Um, but it is. <laughs> I do. But it is what I have to understand about God, right? And this radical love that God has, but this very conservative um, understanding of how we get to God. So God's love is radical, but the requirements are so moderate or conservative. And that's my issue. It's not about how much I love people. And, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe my grandma would go to hell. It's not, that's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. not me. Mm-hmm. It's based on what I know about, about God, based on what I know um, through Many scriptures, right? Because I'm not going to say all scriptures. I know Jesus to have loved radically. And my sister pointed out the only scripture I remember where he wasn't really being so loving and he was like really dismissive was the Canaanite woman, right? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about her not loving him because at that point she probably believed in him more than he believed in her. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So how can someone, if they want to get involved with you three and support this amazing uh event that you have and just everything that Dude 3 does, how can they get involved? Well, one of the major ways they can get involved is to donate. Mm-hmm. Um, the Jude 3 Project not only reaches, impacts churches, but we also have an HBCU tour where okay. we engage students on campuses around the topic of Christianity being the white man's religion, and we combat that Very false good. narrative. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things we do is we raise support to help fund um, the HBCU tour so that the schools won't have to, to pay for that. So one of the ways that people can support us mm-hmm. in reaching students is to give at Jude3project.com, or they can mail in their gift and their there's an address at Jute3project.com to mail in your gift if you want to do it that way as well. Awesome. I'm going to go around 295. I said, listen, I don't know how to go around 295, mm-hmm. but I know if you come across the bridge, you'll get to my house. He says, I want to take the bridge. I'm going to go 295. I don't know if 295 is going to get you to my house, <laughs> but I do know if you come across the bridge, you'll get there. Now, if you want to risk 295, you do that, right? And I'm not saying it won't get to my house. I can only tell you the way I know to get to my house. The only way I know how we define that salvation again, from my experiences through Christ, what I'm unwilling to do is say to a Muslim, that road doesn't lead there. I'm unwilling to say to someone else, that road doesn't, because I don't know where that road goes. I agree. Okay? And that's the inclusive position. That's where I stand. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Okay? The reason I stand where I stand is because I believe Jesus made that statement. I don't want that statement to be true. It bothers me that that statement is true. But Jesus made that statement. Mm -hmm. And because I believe in him, I believe that it is now exclusive, that no man cometh to the Father but by him. And, and also, I think, uh, again, just um, I, I, I just I, I want to hopefully politely push a little bit uh, and say, again, uh, you know, what is the metric? What is how do how does one, you know, and again, it is 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 does salvation not happen? Whatever, however you define it, does salvation not happen for some people? And if so, what is what is the cause of that? Um, because again, I just want to provide a gentle, just hopefully a gentle pushback and say that again, right there in your answer, Dr. Wesley, uh, 
in in your in your reasoning for why you were saying uh, it went to I don't want to condemn people, right? But again, uh, I'm not advocating c- condemning anyone, or again, how we you know how we go about from this whatever your view is. If I, if I'm saying I have the view that uh, that you know salvation by grace through faith in Christ is the is an is a requirement for salvation. Therefore, if that is not present, uh, then someone has not has not been brought into the kingdom. Uh, if I'm saying that I believe that, how I communicate that, or it, you know, again, that's a different question. So I, 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 again, I hope that we can't. I hope that we can just kind of agree on that. That the, the scriptures doesn't call us to go out and condemn anybody, uh, or that none of us are the arbiters of that, or anything like that. And so, uh, so if we can, if we can agree on that, then I'm again, I'm wondering if you know, if I can, you know, push for an actual answer of like what, uh, you know, how how are people saved? Okay. So again. I go into, you're asking me a different question. You're asking me how are people condemned? Because I, I, and I don't know that. I know how I am saved, right? Through my right relationship with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. What I'm arguing is that we should, it, the position we can take will paint it as if the only alternative to Christ is eternal damnation. And I'm not willing to state that and to proclaim that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to proclaim what I know. I'm not willing to proclaim that the only alternative, if you don't go the way I go, is eternal damnation, mm. right? That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That's my inclusive mm-hmm. position. And a professor once gave me a joke that I pass on, and it's funny how deep this is. This is the only conversation with claps. This is the only one the, the audience has been clapping on. Everyone else kind of deep that. Now, hey, 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 you know, Jesus. Um, my, my, my professor says that I pass on, you ain't feeling them claps. Okay. <laughs> I, I knew I knew the position Clap. I take. You know, this, this ain't the first time I've been booed. Um, <laughs> that when we get to heaven, I believe we're gonna be surprised by three things. You'll be surprised by who's there, because right? oh, yeah. there are gonna be some people there that you never thought would be there. You're gonna be surprised by who isn't there, because there are definitely gonna be some folk that you thought was in and didn't make it. And then thirdly, you're gonna be surprised that you made it, and that ought to be the end of it, right? <laughs> That's it. Well, oh, please go in and I'll uh, jump in with the next question. I think when we talk about faith, you know, in Christ that gets us to heaven, you know, and we want to look at Jesus on the cross and, you know, Mm -hmm. want to say, if you're the Messiah, you know, fix this situation, you know, get us out of here. And the other one's like, yo, don't trip. You know, he shouldn't be here. Um, the reason he's the reason this is wrong is because he wasn't wrong, not because of him being the savior. But he then says, you know, can I come with you? You know, he's like, yeah, come on, mm-hmm. you know, but so what does faith look like? You're saying, you know, do you need faith, right, in order to get into heaven or in order to go with Jesus? Well, what does it look like to have the type of faith that gets you in? Because that wasn't any like extreme process. Right. And it was nothing deep and it didn't take a long time. And actually what he had already done didn't even matter. And so I, I'm. And it might have been cheap because you only got a couple more minutes, a couple more hours here. Right. And you mm-hmm. like, oh, let me go. You know, you got to be good. You on the cross. What you going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you have to wonder what this process is like. And that's part of my issue. What is the process like if you can just be like, yo, you shouldn't be here because you really weren't wrong. That's not anything. That's not me saying, oh, I believe in you. He didn't even use the word Messiah. There was nothing, no strong language. But can I go with you? Mm-hmm. And as an aunt to nieces and nephews, there are times when people didn't even believe I mean, my nieces and nephews have wanted to go. They didn't know where I was going. They didn't know if they should believe very strongly in me. They took a little bit of experience. I want to get out of this house. Let me go. You know, there was nothing deep. There was no, there was not a whole lot of faith in me. Maybe it was more of them wanting to be able to leave the building or leave the house more than it was them actually wanting to spend time with me. So I'm just saying, I just want to think through what this process looks like to get in. Because mm-hmm. I think we want so much more from people. Um, we want this. Requ- we want these requirements. We want people to look the way we look or act the way we act in order to have access to a place that, of course, we don't hold the key to. Mm-hmm. And we don't even mm-hmm. possibly know all the requirements it takes to get in. So so. So I just want us to think through that. More than trying to say. There's a place, you know, that someone can't go and we're trying to save these people from this place because what I said, you know, it's not just about loving people, but it's really saying, who is God for real? What does God really want from us? Mm-hmm. What does it really take to have access mm-hmm. to God? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and Dr. Benjamin, I just want to throw this last one in. I, I am a firm believer that I am a steward, as Paul would say, and, you know, I know they're biblical scholars who can argue better. 
I'm a steward of the mystery. I'm a steward of the mystery of God. And salvation to me still has the possibility of being a mystery. God has made God's self clearly known in Christ. And I believe that that is an eternal, valid way to right relation with God and right relation with others. But I give God room to be bigger than my understanding, bigger than one scripture, two, three, mm-hmm. bigger mm-hmm. than the Bible. Dr. Mm-hmm. Valerie Bridgman put something in my spirit that I hold on to. And I know this is the divide between evangelical trained and liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, if God's not bigger than your Bible, then your Bible is God. Mm-hmm. Right? And me giving God space to be bigger than the 66 books and all of our collective interpretation yeah. so that the final guest list of heaven, I'm not worried about. Mm-hmm. Right? So when you ask the question, how, I don't know. I leave that in the mystery of God. I'm called to proclaim what I know to be true, and that is that in Jesus Christ, life is made new. Relationship with God is reconciled, and we're stored in relationship with one another. Mm-hmm. So let's, if if if, um, if I could ask, it, that's, that's, that's good. You got some claps. You got some claps. Look at him. Look at him. You got you got your claps, Doctor Wesley. You got. <laughs> <laughs> I want to cut off the clap and keep it close. <laughs> don't take my claps away, Vince. I, I don't want to take it away. Take your clap. Take your clap. <laughs> um, but and I, so I hear what you're saying. And um, but I guess but again, my question is: um, uh, Is it necessary to preach Jesus? Um, and again, what if if salvation is yes. made available outside of Christ? Uh, then it's not necessary to preach Jesus. It's not essential. It's it's a good option okay. among many. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Jesus is good, but you know, the Pali canon is good too. And the Quran is good. And uh, Bhagavad Gita is good. So I don't have to, if, if Jesus is not the only way, I don't need to preach Christ. I can, do, I can just preach whatever it is that I'm still looking for uh, that is that, that, that new life. I don't know the Quran. I don't know those other holy writings. So I'm not preaching that. Mm. I'm preaching what I, all of us, all we do are really preach our convictions. Mm-hmm. You preach your deepest convictions about God, and we even disagree with that within the body of Christ. Right? And you're not tearing me down because mm-hmm. I don't agree with the same dispensational uh, position mm-hmm. that you have theologically. Mm-hmm. So let me preach what I'm deeply convicted of. And as Dr. Weems said, Lord, I hope I got it right. Amen. Yeah. Well, let me jump in. Let me jump in really quickly um, because I want to. There's a couple elephants in the room, but there's a big one. <laughs> there's a, I mean, I'm. As a systematician, I'm thinking, the Odyssey, what do we think about scripture? Hell, what do we believe? Um, but I wanting to know how your positions on inclusivity and exclusivity um, inform your view of the atonement. The atonement, you guys have brought up the cross, Christ's death. This is, this is a critical matter. So how, how does your position on inclusivity and exclusivity inform your view of the atonement? How do you understand the atonement? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, there's been, you know, there's a lot of, um, models and symbols and allegories that have been used mm-hmm. predominantly by Western theologians. You know, you have judicial imagery and then you have like kind of heroic imagery or Christus victory. You have all these different images you that mean, have, you mean white when you say Western. Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, I, you know, I'd be very clear. I like to be precise. Okay, <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, I think some of them are fine. I mean, I think even in scripture, uh, I mean, even creation gives us lots of different images and symbols about, um, you know, what atonement looks like. And so, um, I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm more of like a, um, kind of, uh, gospel centric kind of, per, you know, theologian, especially as a missions person. Cause I try to give as much room as possible for, for the mysteries of the incarnation, the humanity, divinity of Christ, the Trinity, the, you know, how salvation is a, is a work of God's providence and human choice at the same time. Like I try, you know, there's so many th- in the atonement, right. That, uh, again, um, I try to be gospel centric, but allow for contextualization in different cultures. So I, I think it's problematic. Um, so I guess that would be where I would say that my, I guess you could say I'm like, exclusivist in one sense, in the theological sense of, I believe that salvation is only through faith in Christ. But I guess you could say I'm a missiologically or practically inclusivist person in the sense that I don't, if I meet a, you know, a believer who follows Yesu Al-Masi and uh, believes that he's the son of God, you know, but he doesn't call himself a Christian because he lives in a predominantly Muslim context where the mm-hmm. word Christian or words like atonement have a very loaded, charged history. I'm one that's more like, uh, you know, 
you believe Jesus is the way, truth, and life. He's the Son of God. He's you know he's you know he's the remission. Of, he's the only source of remission of sins. Then you're my brother and sister in Christ. You're not uh, you know. Uh, so I guess that's that's kind of where my inclusive side comes in on a practical level. You know, I think it's important. What one I just love the safe space, and I, I agree with what Dr. Williams said earlier. There's a difference between what I preach and what I stand in the pulpit with, and what we have the ability to think critically of. And I think atonement. I was raised Baptist. I know how to put early on Sunday morning on the end of every sermon. It doesn't matter where I start, I can find my way to the cross. But in scholarship, and I want to thank our, our womanist scholars who've raised up that there's some difficulty with that atoning, crucifying imagery. Like Dolores Williams is clear on that. And sometimes we have to like wrestle with sometimes even our own language and imagery in Christianity is problematic, patriarchal, and oppressive. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that, that, that there's nothing to be found in the shed blood of Jesus, mm-hmm. but let's not just close our eyes and just proclaim that without seeing how that, the message that also transcends to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and just trying to broaden the, broaden the conversation in it. That's all. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I'm a believer like you that I believe that my sins are covered in the blood of Jesus. How God deals with your sins, I can only tell you how God dealt with mine. Mm-hmm. Try to persuade you. Uh, to maybe consider that, but ultimately that's going to still have to be between you and the Lord on the day of judgment. I'm called to proclaim what I know to be true, but in judgment, you're not going to have to give an account for what I told you. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have to give an account for where you and God are mm-hmm. on your own. Mm-hmm. And I believe what I believe, and I also give space for God to be bigger than my belief. Mm-hmm. It's just where I stand. Mm-hmm. So then, Dr. Wesley, how would you explain... Um, your own view of atonement to say my grandmama, like just in layman's terms, how would you explain that to her? How do I explain atonement to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your own, your own view of atonement. How would you articulate that? Yeah. Yeah. Based on your own position. You're going to have to let me think about that. Mm-hmm. I've learned fair. not to speak prematurely. Mm-hmm. That's um, and I want to hear some other voices sure. and read some other writers. Yeah. That's good. And that's fair. Uh, I believe that the word of God that we've been given, I know you said before, Dr. Wesley, that it was like a, um, it's like a mystery. I believe that, that what we've been given is supposed to be a light and that we're supposed to walk within the light that we're given. I do believe that God is bigger than the Bible, that mm-hmm. the, uh, the books could not contain uh, all that there is to be written on God. But if I'm supposed to walk within that light, and if there are John 3, 16 through 24, uh, 16 through 24, which says that he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God, or Acts 4, 12, John 14, 6, or Romans 2, 12 through 14. I mean, and the scriptures are literal, littered with uh, kind of things that seem to suggest that inclusive is, uh, I'm sorry, an exclusivist um, God or way to heaven. If that's true, and I'm supposed to walk in the light, my only issue, I hope that somehow I'm wrong in this whole thing and there are more people let, let in. But if I'm supposed to walk in that light and I begin to tell people that, hey, your way may let you in as well, my fear is that they won't turn because I did not tell them that if I didn't confront them and saying, no, Jesus is saying there is one way. If I, if I, and if I can piggyback on that, I hope, I hope it doesn't divert the question. I hope it adds to it is, again, um, uh, I, I still want I still want some answers over here, from over here. Um, so, what, um, is there a such thing as heretical theology? Mm. Not heretical ethics, because I, again, I think we could all come come up with some very good examples that we would all agree on. But like, is there a teaching? Is there a belief system about God, God's, uh, you know, about creation, lack thereof, about you know, how, like, and how that God or gods or lack thereof interacts with creation like is there a theological belief system that you would say or you know a doctrine that you would say is is heretical is wrong absolutely and some of them exist within christianity what are those when you look at the rooting and the tying of anti-semitism in christian doctrine theology this rejection of jews right Mm -hmm. that has christian origins and we tie it into scripture you know we tie it in war with the pharisees Mm -hmm. scribe you hypocrites we tie it in to Jesus' rejection. And so for me, the measure of heretical orthodoxy may only be able to be seen in how it plays out in human relationship. So uh, that, and, and so is there, is that the only metric? Is, is, is how, is how theology or religion lived out in human relationship? Is that the only, me- I would agree with that example you just gave, it was heretical. 
uh, is, there, is there an example of a heretical belief that would send someone to hell? So let me, let me say this, Dr. Gretchen. I don't think that human relationship is the only measure, mm-hmm. but it's hard for me to measure what then ultimately just becomes a personal belief that you hold about your relationship with God. The only way I can measure what that does is how you interact with him. Right? That, that's all I can see. What you believe in your heart, I cannot measure. So I, I stay out of what I can't measure, what I can't evaluate. So then if I, if I was, if I, hypothetically, if I was saying that, and you, and you saw, let, let's just say that, you know, I, I would hope that I would live up to uh, your estimation of, you know, an ethical lifestyle. Let's say I did. Let's say that I was a Hindu and I lived a very, what you would call a very ethical lifestyle, and you esteemed that. And I said, I do not believe, I believe Jesus is a, a fabrication. I don't even think that person existed. I don't even believe that atonement is necessary. I don't, I don't even believe in the afterlife. Um, I'm, I'm making that very clear. I've read, I've read your Bible and I've considered it. Uh, and I believe that its claims are false and that they are contradictory to my belief system. Would you, would you say that, that a person in that situation, uh, that it is possible for that person who's consciously rejecting the claims of scripture, the claims of the gospel to go to hell? What I'm suggesting is that God makes that decision. But do, you, do you think that God might make that decision? God might make yeah, that. Dr. Parker, yeah, Dr. Parker, jump in, jump in, because I heard you. You, you, you have, you're bubbling up with some things. <laughs> God might make that decision for the deacon in my Baptist church. Yes, the sh- yes. sheep and the goat. I mean, mm-hmm. they dwell together. Yeah. But again, we've agreed on that. Though. So, we've agreed on that though. Yeah. Well, so if it could be true for for someone, we could label clearly as Christian. It can definitely be true for someone we do not label clearly as Christian. I, I, I don't know what that. Okay. Take but time, it, that that I don't know if this is where you're going, but that that leads to this other question of like why preach Jesus? Then? Well, why preach the gospel? Well, you do you preach what you know? Like I do. So while I cannot say there is that Jesus is the absolute only way because I don't know how anybody else has tried, and I don't know where they've ended up, right? Because I didn't go with them. Um, but I can say based on my experience, based on what I know, based on what I read, I'm going to preach Jesus. As a matter of fact, I always do. But I don't know another thing to preach. Like, you understand what I'm saying? So I, I don't, I, I think I'm getting a little lost in this now. You know what, Britt? First of all, I don't mean to interrupt you. Let oh, me, no, are, no. are you sure? Mm-hmm. No, I okay. mm-hmm. Dr. Gaffney got on folk that we interrupted sisters early. I want to make sure I don't, <laughs> don't interrupt the sister. Um, here's the danger. And this, this is where it's dangerous being inclusive. The reason I can't answer that, because you're not going to push me into exclusivity or all the way to pluralism. I understand the complications of standing where I am. Mm -hmm. I understand how we like black or white. We want this or that and don't want to deal with the complexity of the gray area. I understand that. It's theologically dangerous to stay in the gray area. Mm -hmm. But that's all I know to do because God's mystery to me. And I believe God's self-revelation in Jesus Christ without a shadow of a doubt. And I believe I can share with a Hindu sister or brother who rejects it that they have the right to but, but this is where I stand and where I believe in the same way I won't be pushed to reject what I believe. What I can't do is then say, well, your only option is hell then. Right? That's where I refuse to draw the line. Okay? That, and that's all, that's all I can say. And I, I, would, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that there's, um, uh, I, don't, I, yeah, I, don't know that, I don't know that I've even insisted on a black or white paradigm necessarily. Uh, and also I've, you know, even ex- admitted to a lot of gray in my own theology. I'm not, yeah. I don't, I can't explain Trinitarian Christ- Christological, you know, and I don't even know if it's necessary, you know. Um, but the, the question on this panel is, is Jesus the only way? Right. Is he the only way? Mm-hmm. And I, my argument is that, uh, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, say that every, we, we can't work out a systematic theology of all of our core doctrines. But my argument is, I don't feel like, I don't feel like, uh, that you've, like clearly answered that question. Is it? I did. Go ahead. Go, no, no. Go, go ahead. I answered authentic to myself how I answer based on that. I, I may not have the language or the script that answers for the evangelical side that wants to stay in the exclusivity, right. you know, right. but I've answered for me. And yeah, I've answered, I've answered for me, man. I'm at mm-hmm. peace mm-hmm. with my answer that I will stand in my truth with. That's all I know. And I think a big problem. Go ahead. You got it. You got it. 
And I think the bigger problem is when we try to have answers for things that we don't understand or that we're not certain about, and we stand and we proclaim for the sake of claps or no claps or engagements or no engagement or a job or no job, what we don't have a real answer for. This is the best that we can do, right? And you might not be willing to say this, but I'm going to assume that's the best that you can do too. Um, And so we're giving, no, 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 no shade. We're just giving the best that we can. And sometimes I think we want to be shown something in print or in black and white because it feels good. It's easier. And we have a road, right? A guide. And then it's more difficult sometimes to go uh, the way where you don't have the same type of guide, you don't guide, you don't have the same type of confirmation, you're not going to get the same type of applause, but that doesn't make it any less true or any less real, but it does make it authentic. And I think what we need today is authenticity more than we need quotes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that was a good quote okay. about that, though. My, my issue. <laughs> that would make a good tweet. <laughs> <laughs> my only issue, my only issue, um, and I know we got to go. My only issue is that it seems that the text is clear. And so, like, what I would want to see in order for my position to be moved. And like I said, this is a position, if I was wrong, I would hope to be wrong on because I don't want people in hell. I want more people in heaven. I would just want to hear the exegesis that supports it out of John 14, out of Acts 4, out of Romans 2, out of Romans 10, and throughout the, the New Testament that suggests that there is that Christ is the only way. And if that was showed, I would happily kind of walk. There. But you also are. Right, so hey. let me ask you the reason I preach Jesus. Is that's all I know. And that's what I believe. I'm with you. I'm right. You also have an answer. What do you do with the Jews? And so you, so you want to limit all of it to the last 27. What are you doing with the first 39? Right. What are you doing with, what are you doing with those people? You, you, you don't answer. What is, what is the God of the universe would do what is right? So how many passages mm-hmm. do I have to put on the table? To contradict the four you put. Because for me, in scientific theory, one contradicts everything. Right? So, do I need to put five passages out that contradict it? Or can I say, let's not get into scripture debating and let's stand on our deepest core convictions about God, which may be informed by scripture or misinformed by scripture. And at the end of the day, know that we all have to give an account for what we believe God put on our hearts to proclaim to God's people. Mm. Right? And that's the best I think I can do. Yeah. Can we clap for our panel? They were great. Thank you. (laughs) Wow, that was an amazing topic and an amazing talk on that. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.